0: Hello, and welcome to The Niche Podcast for Friday, March 13th, 2015. I'm Jonathan Stark.
1: I'm Kelly Shaver.
0: And we're here to talk about building apps that run everywhere using open web standards like HTML, CSS, JavaScript, REST, and JSON. This week, we talk about how big of an impact mobile computing could have on civilization in the next five years. Please stay tuned. The Niche Podcast is next. Hello. Hello. Happy Friday the 13th.
1: Yes, Friday the 13th.
0: Spooky. Mm-hmm. What's going on there?
1: Uh, just cleaning up a bunch of stuff and throwing away all the things and getting ready for the big move. Yeah? Uh, yeah, I'm moving 14 feet to the right. <laughs> if you're facing the front of the house.
0: <laughs> what? Now, I... I saw some chat, but I can't remember what instigated it. It was...
1: Yeah, what instigated it was, I'm tired of this desk, I want to do desk. hmm And I'm actually not getting the one I was talking about in the chat. I've, I've decided on a different one. But um, that went from, I want to do desk, to finally convincing Kira to switch rooms with me. hmm So, yeah. And which is is funny to anyone who's been in our house, which is probably exactly zero of our listeners. Yeah. <laughs> um, because Kira and I the rooms are they're the same size had a window in the same place they're basically identical hmm. they're the, th- the only difference is they're they're mirror images of each other so her closet is on the opposite side mm-hmm. so this this whole thing it's all about closet placement
0: ah i see and so what's in it for her nothing no difference
1: um 42 inch tv Whew.
0: makes sense seems like a yeah. no-brainer
1: yeah she um she was silently hoping that I would forget to take my hue bulbs with me though.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Fat chance.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But no, I don't, I don't want this, this, uh, the TV that large. So well, there you it's go. the, it's the old one that used to be in our living room and the, the IR port on it doesn't work. So she'll have to push buttons on the TV, but
0: oh, it'll be exercise.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> so, uh, shall we jump into, let's see, where are we housekeeping? I guess.
1: Yeah, we can jump in.
0: Cool. So uh, do you want to start off with your public apology, whatever that yes. is?
1: <laughs> no, I wanted to apologize because I've had I've had so many people tweet and email and contact me about um, the Docker issues I was having. Really? Yeah, and I have well by so many I mean like three or four, but still that was three or four more than I expected. That's a deluge and for our normal listener yeah, response. Yeah, and I just I I feel bad because I have been such a frustrating combination of sick and busy this week that I have not responded to anybody. Uh. Gotcha. So I just wanted to say thank you to everyone who has gotten gotten to me about that, and and it is appreciated, and it will get read at some point in the hopefully not too distant future.
0: <laughs> gotcha. Um, cool. So shall we move on to the bug report? Uh, we've got two this week. We do. First one is rack localhost. That's my yeah. Real
1: This is this is probably old news. Um, because uh, Rails four two has been out for a little while now. But we have we have several apps that are on Rails 4.1. We haven't updated them yet. So um usually during a normal work day I'm working in, in a Rails 4.1 environment. Mm-hmm. But um Rails 4.2 there have been changes changes in rack. Uh so when you start the local brick local development server, uh it now binds to localhost instead of 0.0.0.0. 0. 0. 0. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is normally not a problem unless you're running it in a virtual machine.
0: Ah, uh, gotcha. Uh, yes.
1: Yes. So you just need to be you know, because otherwise requests coming in won't be passed to to the um uh, web server. Right. So you just need to when you start the web server, you just need to specify that you want to bind to uh the zero point zero point zero point zero IP address. Or if you don't want to have to specify that every time, there's like a three lines you can put in your uh, environment in your um environment file, which I can put up in a gist somewhere. Mm, cool. So you so it'll just automatically do it.
0: There you go. So if you're using so who has to watch out for this? You have to watch out for that if you're using a virtual machine and mm. Rails four point two. Yep. Okay. Which I'm sure is the vast
1: majority of the dear listeners. Probably is. I feel like I'm a little behind in that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, okay. So uh, we have we have a bug. I understand for someone who's been doing web development for over a decade to have never come across this is pretty, pretty funny, but, uh, you want to describe the, the use case of why you were even,
1: why I was even doing this in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I had a, I had a, um, uh, we have a little guest sign up thing for, for sticky albums. So you can create a little guest account and try it out. And basically I just needed to, like you click a button and it posts to so the, it create page to create the guest account. And basically all I needed to do was check and make sure that a flag was set. It didn't need, I didn't need to have any specific value. I just needed to make sure it was set. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'd set up this little three line. It was a form, you know, get your, open your form and then it's just a form with a submit button. There's no other fields or anything. And so I just, I'd put a name on that submit button so that it would just submit it. And and then I could use that, the name on the submit button as my little flag that I was checking for. Mm -hmm. Um, so that was, that was the setup. That was just the scenario. Gotcha. And it worked fine until one of the marketing guys decided to set up a, a different page and with that form for, for a different purpose, marketing-wise, different purpose, mm-hmm. and have it programmatically submit the form with JavaScript. Mm-hmm. And that submitted the form, but it did not pass the, the name on the submit button mm. as, a, as a, a key value pair in the post data.
0: Interesting. And that is because it was doing a JavaScript. it was submitting the form with javascript so like it grabbed the the dom element of the form it and it grabbed just the ran. dom element
1: of the form and submitted it. Right. Rather than I mean, you know that's curious. I'm I'm curious now if it would work if you did a click action on the form submit button.
0: Oh, I'm I would be shocked if it didn't. Yeah. But that's not a really but it's not so so here's the there's an outstanding question in my mind, but the okay. to 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 explain what happened, the the since the button wasn't getting clicked, it was behaving as if the value wasn't set, right. Which kind of makes sense to me.
1: It does kind of make sense, yeah.
0: Because there could be a bunch of buttons, and you wouldn't want them all submitted, right? There could be like a yeah, like
1: you said, save and close, or save and add a new record, or yeah.
0: Right, and and if they're both submit buttons, then how would the browser know which one to send? It would probably do what it does with hidden fields. If you've got matching names farther down, where it just overwrites with the last one, so you'd always be getting the button yeah. that wasn't necessarily clicked. So I can kind of see that behavior, but uh, the th-
1: yeah, it kind it kind of makes sense.
0: But I definitely did not ex- wouldn't have expected that. I would have expected to see the 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 because it's a form with one button. It. it creates a situation where it's easy to imagine that that key value pair would be there.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, like you said, I don't really think it's a bug, but I think it's just it's behavior that I didn't expect.
0: Mm. So here's the thing that I, I would be interested to test. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of times, especially when I'm programming for mobile, um, I make sure that if I have any form handlers, it's not on clicking the submit button, it's on submission of the form. Right. So that any way, because you could submit it from the keyboard,
1: Right, exactly. Yeah, that's that's definitely the better way to do it.
0: Right, but now I'm wondering if if you submit it from the keyboard, what gets sent? So,
1: cause, oh, because you're not clicking the button,
0: right? You're, or or are you? So, like, what happens when when the when the focus is in a form field and you hit the and enter you hit enter on the key and regular laptop, mm-hmm. it will submit the form by default. But I think it only does that if there is a submit button in the form. Nope. It works without a submit button. Okay. What am I thinking?
1: I I know this because I was working on a form last night, and I forgot to put a submit button in the form. Yeah. So I just hit enter to test it real quick before I went back and added the button.
2: Okay.
0: All right. That's good. That's good recent testing. Yes. Um, So, uh, but the question remains, if there is a submit button in there, does, I would imagine that it does not get sent unless that button gets clicked.
1: You know, um... From From what I've seen with the JavaScript submitting so with javascript, i would I would now assume the same thing. Um, yesterday, I wouldn't have thought that, but <laughs> right.
0: Um, cool. A couple bugs this week. Shall we move on to the feature?
1: Yes, let's move on to the to the feature. It sounds like a fun feature.
0: So a little background. Um, next week, I'm going to be giving a, a talk at a conference that is going to be attended by a bunch of really high level, uh, CIO, CTO type people from multi-unit restaurants. Don't call them chains. Uh, but multi, <laughs> multi-unit multi restaurants, that all different kinds, like anything from McDonald's to Panera to Chipotle to Ruth's Chris, like all, all different types of restaurants, drive throughs fancy, sit-down, everything.
1: Well, thanks for the explanation, because I was wondering what a multi-unit restaurant was.
0: <laughs> it's a chain restaurant.
1: It's a chain restaurant, yeah. They, they could have just said so.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, apparently that's... Uh, a, is, that a
1: de- is that a derogatory term when you're in the restaurant business? Apparently
0: it is a derogatory term. Um. So, at the, and, and so historically when I talk to people that are pretty far up the food chain in a big company, <laughs> they all will nod their heads at what I'm saying, but then they'll never do anything about it. Yeah. Or if they do something about it, it's four years later, which is at which point it's a waste. Out of date. Yeah. <laughs> So a big part of my talk is to... Um, Scare them? Yeah, to impress upon them the magnitude of the change we're living through. And ultimately, my advice to them is pretty straightforward. I mean, basically, I'm going to say to them, um, you know, if it's, it's going to be IT people, and we all have probably worked with uh, Enterprise IT. They're just like the long-suffering IT department. You know, they have <laughs> a mile-long <laughs> list. Everything they say, they, everything you ask them for, the answer is no. And they're just, they're really, they're in a bad position. Yeah. But to people outside of an IT department that's like that, and I used to be inside one, but for people outside, they think the IT department's just jerks. Like they, they, are, they just don't want to do anything. They're not helpful. It's just this giant cost center that doesn't do anything. And, you know, that's like the way of marketing and advertising people tend to see it. And so the, I think that there's this weird, but I think the way IT came up, um, you know, maybe maybe for companies as far back as the '80s, but let's say the '90s, like pre pre web. Um, but you know, there was like a ton of operational IT. There's a lot of back office yeah. stuff, POS stuff. It had to. It's all mission critical. It had to be up and running and robust and backups and mm-hmm. failovers and disaster recovery and all that stuff that makes it so hard to just. Why can't we just add one page to the website? It's like, well, it's got to go through seven hundred levels of QA because that's right. what we're on the hook for, and you know, et cetera, et cetera.
1: Yeah. You gotta gotta order negative one beers and a wombat. First.
0: <laughs> I love that joke. Uh, so so the, the but so now that now the web happens and then and then after that mobile happens and all of a sudden you've got you know the the cliched term now the consumerization of it. And what that means is all of a sudden there are guests using your infrastructure. So, and when, as soon as, as soon as it's guest facing or front facing or customer facing, (laughs) as soon as that happens, everybody starts piling on board.
1: (laughs) Yes. Yes. And the job of it gets so much harder because, you know, a million monkeys,
0: right? And, you know, a million browsers, a million devices, a million phones, a bunch, you know, a million people screaming on Twitter. And yeah, I
1: mean, I, I, I sympathize with them, <laughs> the right. IT guys.
0: And they're already they already have too much on their plates um, maintaining in many, many cases like aging software, legacy stuff mm-hmm. that uh, they have to still hand crank lots of things. And maybe they, maybe they, maybe most of them still have private server farms that they maintain, uh, and you know haven't made the jump to the cloud. So they're they're burning all, in my opinion, a lot of them are burning all this effort on on maintaining systems that are important, but they're plumbing type systems. They're not right. c- core core competency type stuff for a a restaurant chain. Sorry, a multi unit restaurant. <laughs> You know, so it's like it's like outsource that stuff instead of what they are outsourcing, which is they're outsourcing like they'll buy like a mobile enterprise application platform from somebody. Like they'll get uh, who knows, like whatever SUP from from uh, SAP. So like the Sybase unwired platform, which is I haven't seen in a while, but was a steaming pile of junk when it came out.
1: I'm not familiar with
0: it. Oh, it's it's it was like a poor. It was so embarrassing. It was like this enterprise grade, is enterprise grade phone gap implementation that had like no feature. It was just junk. And and yeah. the, I mean, I shouldn't say it was junk, but for the amount of money they were charging for it, it was highway robbery. Yeah, and, you know, when they're basically just leveraging phone gap. So I'm sure it's completely different now. That's going back four or five years. I'm sure it's
1: with like a know. lot of a lot of big educational softwares. Same way, well, I mean, I guess all enterprise software to an extent, but
0: especially if it started in the desktop phase, so which tons of it did, most of it did. So anyway, my so so my takeaways for them are really pretty simple. It's like try and well, hard to implement, but simple to understand. Mm -hmm. Try and outsource the stuff that doesn't doesn't matter to the guest because you know, and just and build core competency. Uh, on the stuff that does matter to the guest, because that's also the stuff that matters to the CMO. And that's also the stuff that matters to the CEO. So your department is going to stop looking like a cost center and start looking like a growth area. Yeah. So bill get, get, and I go find a, go find a little dev shop. That's got like four or five people and buy it instead of spending $5 million on SUP for the first year, just go hire five people and get, and say go for it. Here's your to do list, yeah. and you, like make that happen. Like start doing that. But anyway, and things like and and this typical stuff like we always say you have to meet maintain flexibility, clean content that has metadata, APIs, self service APIs, starting small, all that stuff. But no one's going to do it because they're because all of it implies um, a massive organizational change.
1: It does. It does.
0: It changes the way. I mean, I think in a perfect world companies that have all these different business units would be um, would align themselves at, from the highest levels. Like the CEO would change the way the incentives worked all the way down the chain. So uh, instead of being incentivized for, I'll just pull something out of the air, like uptime of the web server, instead of that, they should be incentivized for like achieving some business goals with <laughs> this marketing initiative that was a collaboration between the advertising department and it, you know, so uh, so that when you go into when a when a you know person g- walks into a target and has a coupon on their phone it is you know a single use coupon it is actually tracked everywhere and not just in the mobile system so like like you can i I don't know if this is still true but at one time you could walk in if you went to enough targets you could keep using the same coupon the even same though you're coupon. only supposed yeah. to use it once cuz it wasn't nothing was tied together they would do like a batch operation overnight or something like that but it wasn't real time so anyway the, th- the point of what I'm getting at, though, is that um, in order to scare them into making a, what is essentially a huge organizational change, which, in fact, by the way, Target just did, the CEO actually said, I'm paraphrasing, but he said, the the new front door to Target is going to be mobile. Like, like this company gets it. So I'm doing research and I'm going through and looking at all the typical stuff like... Um, uh things like how
1: sales numbers and
0: yeah like how how big mobile is and how much the penetration is and what the what in the next five years how much bigger it's going to be and like the effects that it's having on every aspect of society's you know getting disrupted like tower records and Blockbuster and uh borders books and the entire Mm -hmm. newspaper industry the entire taxi industry all these things are either dead or circling the bowl you know and it's like and, and why because of the convergence of ubiquitous connectivity uh, you know affordable smartphones and cloud computing
2: mm-hmm.
0: it's like everybody has a freaking supercomputer in their pocket and <laughs> yeah. nobody's yeah. nobody's like nobody's really doing anything not, not nobody but big dinosaur style companies are not doing anything about it quick enough
1: yeah like everyone's walking around with in their with like the entirety of human knowledge in their pocket yeah, it's crazy.
0: Yeah, and not just that. I mean, that's that's the reference library, but they also have a payment system. They also have a robust mm-hmm. communication platform. I, it's it's insane. So, all right. So there's a couple of things. There's a couple of bullet points that I thought the dear listener would be interested in stuff that I came up with while I was researching like the the size of mobile and what that might mean. Okay. Um, so the first one uh, is uh, from a guy named Tommy. I think it's pronounced Tommy actually. Tommy Ahonen. I'm sure I'm saying that wrong. Apologies, Um, but he's a former Nokia exec. He was there at the like literally in the room with the guy that invented SMS when it was invented. So he's been in mobile since forever, and he's got this killer blog post um, where that I excerpted uh, here. He says, um, "No tech ever has even come close." to how big mobile is not television sets not playstations pcs walkmans radios cars motorcycles bicycles credit cards bank accounts electricity landline telephones running water wristwatches toothbrush toothbrushes not even pens and pencils are in as wide use as mobile is today
1: you know he's right yeah (laughs) he's right i know i know people in sub-saharan africa that don't have electricity or running water but they have facebook yep and they'll they'll get on their bicycles and and charge their phones.
2: mm mm-hmm. Mhm.
0: And they'll share them like there may be yeah. one for the village. So one, Yeah. And he I was like I was like pens and pencils, but he goes on to explain in the article that there are a billion adults in 2015 who uh, can't read or write. Anyway, so what would they need pens and pencils for?
1: That's uh, a huge number. I had no idea it was that high.
0: Yeah. So then in the talk, I go through this thing where I list off those things like entertainment, just totally disrupted. Commerce, totally disrupted. Check this out. In in, two, in 2011, eBay did $5 billion in sales on mobile. Three years later, that number was 45 billion. Yeah, so it went up nine times in three nine years. Nine
1: times in three years.
0: Yeah, that's crazy. Politics, you know, like think back to the, the way that um, mobile phones, and Facebook and social media, which of course is hugely enabled by mobile phones. Yeah. Um it affected the the last two presidential campaigns, not just the last one. Look
1: at look at Obama's campaigns.
0: Yeah, it was crazy. All the yeah. Occupy Wall Street, Ferguson, yeah. the Ferguson riots, all the stuff that mobile enabled around that and all the you know, the like live streaming of what was going on there.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, healthcare. Apple just announced Research Kit. Did you hear about this?
1: Uh I heard of it, but I didn't like I didn't read anything about it. So
0: Yeah, so they created an open source uh framework for mm-hmm. iOS that researchers can use to allow people to opt in to send their to send like medical data. It's not even medical data, it's like diagnostic data.
1: Like biometric data that's being collected from all these apps and trackers and things?
0: It would well in the case. I don't know if it'll be opt-in to other apps like an sdk but they but you can build an app on top of it so so it starts yeah. out they start out with five apps i think the the diseases in question were breast cancer parkinson's diabetes uh and two others that i don't remember but so that so like an example was that you launch the parkinson's app and it tells you to you know walk walk 10 feet turn around and walk back with the phone in your pocket and it will measure yeah. your gait. And um, and so like, and they just said like the amount of, assuming that people opt into it, the amount of data that they'll get is like hundreds of times greater than what they do now. And really importantly, not only is it more data, but it's real time data. So instead of coming in every six months to your doctor, or maybe even every three months, which is still, it's not that common. And they test your situation that you might have done something yesterday that messed you up for today but if you're if they're getting data from you every day in real time not only is that much better data for them but it's actually can give you feedback on you. your own progress right yeah. uh, and then maybe make some correlation to like oh wow every time i go to the gym the next day my my um, my gait they called it my my the way that i walk is
2: mm-hmm.
0: better than days when i don't go to the gym so you know who knows
1: yeah. You feel better when you don't eat this.
0: Yeah. That kind of thing. So there's a ton of stuff like that. And and there've been obvious, you know, like, like the stuff I listed off before, like entire industries are just getting chewed up. And I especially, I especially talk about newspapers because newspapers, they know about the internet, but I, they, they didn't, first of all, Uh, I literally talked with newspaper executives and they were like, if people's habits won't change, they're going to take the paper, you know, with their cereal or on the train, no one's going to read the news on their phone, which is so asinine now when you look at it.
1: (laughs) Yeah. No one reads news on a newspaper.
0: (laughs) Yeah. It's the polar opposite now, but the thing that destroyed the business wasn't that the thing that destroyed the business was first Craigslist taking away the classified ads. Mm -hmm. And then it was Google taking away display ads, the rest of the ads. And uh, Twitter breaking news RSS feeds daily news I mean email lists yeah. everything they just got dismantled
1: Yeah I mean it wasn't like online news online news services took over it was it was everything else <laughs> Right like HuffPo
0: didn't kill newspapers
1: No Twitter did
0: Yeah exactly so I just thought, and so the the thing there that I really hope to impress upon people is that, you know, Craigslist is a teeny little startup. I think even today they only have like 20 employees. Mm. And they basically took classified ads away from from uh, newspapers. And never mind those things, like there used to be a, a, a thing in Boston called the Want Advertiser. And it was just like, it came out once a month and it was like 100 pages of like teeny little classified ads. That, that's gone. Yeah, you
1: remember those... Um I forget what they were called, but like, like the books that were just vehicles that people had for sale.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Auto Trader. Mm -hmm. Auto Trader. Yeah. Yeah. So, (laughs) yeah. So, but the thing is that the, the important thing to point out there is that the thing that did the damage was not, didn't look anything like the thing being damaged. It wasn't a big newspaper that, you know, it wasn't like the Wall Street Journal crushing the New York Times. It was Craigslist crushing the Providence Journal. (laughs)
2: Right.
1: Yeah. But I mean, you're, you're going through these things and in the back of my head, I'm hearing restaurant owners going, well, yeah, but you still can't eat over the internet.
0: Right. But there are, so I do this whole section on dematerialization
1: mm-hmm. and
0: the the competition that restaurants have isn't going to be from an internet restaurant.
1: It's going to be from other restaurants that have better internet presence.
0: Or it's going to be from just totally different eating experiences. Yeah. So like, you know, we talked about Foodler on the show.
1: Yeah, or like you would order from Domino's because they had the pizza button, which is right. the good pizza place.
0: Right. See, Domino's has Domino's is innovating, where almost everybody else, anyone on Foodler, is not innovating. So what what happens is all of the brands that are using Foodler or allowing pe- allowing people to use Foodler to get their food are not in control of that entire arm of the experience, which is the only customer facing part of the experience when you're ordering food like that. Right. So that's not good because all of a sudden the experience is branded to Foodler. And now all of a sudden I've got like this wide range of choices with an undifferentiated experience between the
1: changes. Oh yeah. It's like when I was in Boston, we ordered from, we ordered from this Indian restaurant one night. We, we, we used Grubhub. Mm-hmm. And it's like, there were so many restaurant options for Boston on Grubhub. We could have, we could have gotten literally
2: anything. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. So, and you know, what are you going to, you know, people will say like, oh, but our food's better. No one cares. That's like, that's not the whole, that's not the main part. That's the whole pizza button story.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And when they're looking at, at, in big cities like that, especially when they're looking at hundreds of restaurants well yeah your your food might be better but it's not better than everyone else's when like your your Mexican food might be the best Mexican in town but if I say I want Mexican and then I go to Grubhub and it's like hmm no you know what there's all these Italian restaurants here that sounds really good mm-hmm. you yeah. know <laughs>
2: yeah
0: there's, it, the, the I think the bottom line is like the the it's easy to imagine that that the food is is the only thing but really it's the entire experience
1: yeah
0: and it's everything from like the food preparation the food packaging the how the food arrives and if you're using foodler you're giving up a massive (laughs) chunk of the experience to a company that could end up destroying you like that this is the thing that's crazy like what if what if um well this is really you know this is fanciful but what if foodler started doing food (laughs) <laughs> like, what if they were like, what if they were making so much money that they were like, hell, we can come up with a better, better types of food, a better menu, stuff that travels more easily. And we have a bunch of little locations. And now all of a sudden. Yeah, and they've
1: got all this research data on what does sell.
0: Mm-hmm. And now all of a sudden. over the years. Right. You've got what Netflix did to Blockbuster, in a sense, where it's a data driven mm-hmm. organization that has a much better view of the playing field than you do saying oh you know what we should do we could we could we put all these yeah we could put all these indian places out of business right now yeah so anyway i you know that's what uh that should scare people but hopefully but you're right yeah. the, to your answer about like restaurants are different than retail or ref, restaurants are different than um like a video store or something like that i, I do think there are still pieces of the i mean the, the payment experience that's another mm-hmm. thing that people are outsourcing the mobile app experience another thing they're outsourcing so you, they're getting these white label restaurant apps from these app builders that are just sort of again undifferentiated. They've got like a logo or whatever, and that's it. Uh, you know, you've got other people maintaining your menu for you. All of these things should be in house. Those are the things that should be in house. But anyway, to jump back to to jump back to some more numbers about mobile, this is crazy. Okay. So check this out. So this is from a report uh, from Benedict Evans, who works at Andreessen Horowitz. And he, he's a little bit of a polarizing character, but uh, he does know what he's talking about, in my opinion, uh, about mobile. And so a couple of stats from him. Uh, in the next five years, smartphone o- ownership not before when I said that mobile you know is bigger than pens, that was all dumb phones and smartphones and everything. That yeah, was like yeah, cellular Yes, pricing, cellular connections. hmm it's people with phones and some kind of phone in their pocket that has a SIM card in it. And they're more in use than there are humans on the planet because people have more than one. So there's like over 7 billion mobile phones in use.
1: Yeah. We have between tablets and phones. We have like seven or eight in our house and and, and Richard refuses to carry a cell phone.
0: (laughs) So there you go. But the, um, the percentage of that number is going up really quickly. The percentage of smartphones in that overall pie is going up and uh, is supposed to double by in the next, I keep, I keep on wanting to say 2020, but that sounds so far away, but really it's less than five years away.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's crazy.
0: Yeah. So in the next five years, smartphone ownership is going to go from 2 billion where it is now to 4 billion and uh, 80% of the adults on earth will have a smartphone. That's insane.
1: Mm-hmm. I'd believe it.
0: Um, So this will surprise no one. Okay. Um, When asked, uh, what would you miss most? 11 to 15 year olds in the UK overwhelmingly said mobile phones. And that was by far uh, bigger than the, the others, which were TVs, game consoles and PCs, which like I said, I'm sure surprises absolutely no
1: one. I'm sure it surprises no one. I know that's not the answer Kira would give, but I'm sure it surprises no one
0: uh TV sets are now in the minority when you consider computing vo- devices that are used for video in fact they are uh less than a quarter of the devices
1: yep. also not surprising
0: uh that one did kind of surprise me i thought TVs i thought TV penetration would still be pretty solid but it's not even not even close it's yeah
1: i know i know a lot of people who don't even have TVs anymore they just watch everything on 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 the laptops and tablets and things
0: yeah I mean, I believe it, but I'm still a little surprised by the numbers yeah. um so all of that stuff led me to so I'm going through all that I'm like wow, you know and that that like one billion illiterate number was sort of rattling around in my head, and I came across something that really blew my mind, which is I think uh I actually I think it's pot like check this out okay okay um I often wrap up the this talk about like you know this is changing everything this is a really big deal it's you know some people compare the you know the the internet and the web era to you know being bigger than the industrial revolution you know it's the
1: printing press
0: yeah printing press is the other one but i think it's i think it's bigger than the alphabet (laughs) and it's bigger
1: than language.
0: Not language, but the alf- no. written word.
1: Written, yeah.
0: Because the, it, it's it, like, if you look back in the history of the written word, and I haven't delved into it really deeply, everything I know about it is is from the shallows and the reference references that uh, um, Nick Carr gives in this book, The Shallows, What the Internet's Doing to mm-hmm. Our Brain. And he says, uh, you know, basically the Greek alphabet was what enabled humans to switch from an oral culture where ideas were primarily transmitted by talking to people who are like right in your vicinity. So mm-hmm. about 150 people you'd ever meet in your whole lifetime uh, to taking knowledge, you know, the, the primary uh, storage and transmission changed into books. So written word. And, and when I thought about I that, you feel
1: now like it's going the other way.
0: Well, uh, w- when I first started saying that I was thinking now we're storing and transmitting our ideas over the internet via this mobile conduit so if you know I don't see people you know I feel like if you're if you're measuring where ideas are stored outside of the brain books I feel like are nowhere near any kind of printed material printed material in the physical world is nowhere near the volume of stuff that's going on the web
1: even just because of the fact that all of the printed material in the world is now also on the web.
0: Yeah, there's that. <laughs> just
1: about it feels like.
0: Right. So I was like, well, that's that makes this that makes the the internet and the web bigger. It's like a it, a portion of your brain that's getting outsourced that you can carry in your pocket, where you can't carry your entire bookshelf, your library around with you. So, uh, so I was okay, sort I of don't, like,
1: uh, yeah. At this point, I don't know if I would say it's bigger than the alphabet, but I would say it's bigger than paper. <laughs>
0: maybe that would have been a better way to say it, except for now I actually do think it's bigger than the alphabet or it could be. So, so check this out. If you think of the written word as an encoding system for Mm -hmm. ideas, which it is, which it is. I never thought of it like that. Reading is decoding ideas that have been encoded in a particular way. Mm -hmm. So you've got the idea, you encode it as words and then you, then you transmit it and then someone decodes it. So, okay, that's interesting. And, you know, you could imagine there's lots of other encodings we work with all the time, like base 64 encoding, you know, like if you were, if you were, uh, what if from an early age in
1: reading base 64,
0: exactly from an early <laughs> age, imagine if you, we couldn't transmit pixels, but we could transmit text characters. And so we enjoyed photography by learning how to decode visually, look at base 64 and, and know what it, and like that would recreate A picture in our mind the same the same way that reading a page recreates ideas in our head okay so that and then all of a sudden one day we can transfer pixels and compare that to like looking at an art gallery you know it like looking at looking at cat pictures on your computer that it's just base 64 (laughs) you know what i mean yeah so that's that's an absurd taking it to the absurd level but then i started thinking about sheet music where sheet music is a way to encode musical works Mm -hmm. for transmission or broadcast, if you will. You know, it's like a a cheap, relatively cheap and easy way to encode a, a musical work and give it to someone else who has to study for years and years to learn how to read that. And in fact, another thing that you learn when you're learning how to read music is how to uh, when you learn your craft, it, it becomes second nature that you're going to fill in a whole bunch of cracks that can't be represented in sheet music. Mm-hmm. Things like subtle phrasing and um, and nuances of tempo changes and things that you it would be impossible to encode. And that's right. why MIDI music sounds so bad because it's it's
1: just the encoded. Yeah, you're right. it's, just, it's just yeah.
0: It's just the encoded part. But now, you know, sheet music is basically dead. And the reason is because there's much, much better and easier ways to, um, and cheaper to share musical ideas in a way that is much closer to the real version. Mm -hmm. So if I take a picture of a tree and I send you a, a photo, you know, like a, a, a JPEG of it, that's much closer to the real experience of the tree than if I sent you base 64, a base 64 string. Right. Right. (laughs) And so now, if I send you an MP3 of a Hendrix song, that's much—that's a much more true fidelity version of the performance than if I wrote down.
1: Hand me the sheet music.
0: Yeah, I mean, think of the. Dif- I mean, the difference is yeah. actually on a similar scale to the base sixty-four example.
1: Yeah, it is. It is. It really is.
0: So now, check this out. Now, now let's say instead of a musical performance, we think of like. Um, what's the performance called like a story like like someone's telling a fiction story okay compare an audiobook performance of that story with a, a 300 page book the the audio performance of the story is far closer or it's going to be far more evocative it's far more similar to someone sitting there telling you a story than it is if you decode 300 pages of text
1: yeah, but that's maybe a bad example because I still much prefer reading the text. I think it can be better, but I don't think it necessarily is because when when I'm reading a book that I'm I'm getting you know I'm I'm giving giving voices to these characters in my head and subtleties to their the like the, the you know, there's, there's more imagination and creativity that comes into play when you're reading reading it versus listening to someone else read it to you.
0: Yeah, no argument there. No argument there. And I,
1: I tend to think that that's a better experience.
0: It's the same with sheet music. I can, I, I, mean, I don't have to do it the way Jimi Hendrix played it. I can, I can bring my own phrasing to it. I can mm-hmm. bring my own idea. But guess what? That's all a lot more work, and it takes a lot of effort to learn how to do that and develop that imagination, develop the reading skills. All of that stuff's a lot more work.
1: Yeah, but the payoff is worth it. Is it? I think so. Maybe if I, if I was sitting in, like if I was reading nonfiction, I, yeah, I'm happy to have it read to me, (laughs) but I, I I don't know. I just, I, I do. I feel like the payoff is worth it for, for creative, creative works. Um, And I think, I think a book is a little different than music in that sense. (laughs) And I can't entirely articulate why.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's right. You can't,
1: (laughs) (laughs) but I do think it's different.
0: I agree that it's different. It's a different medium. It's different, you know, it's like different than uh, dance is another form of expression that's different. They all have the different uh, subtleties and aspects and yeah, definitely it's different in the and. But the thing is, I feel like it's impossible for us to be impartial about this because we are so down in it. But if you think that of be. people who never learned how to read sheet music, don't miss it. Yeah. And, people and even
1: well. Who- I I knew how to read it and I still don't miss it because I wasn't getting anything from it other than a set of instructions for playing the notes. Like I wasn't getting the, wasn't getting the, the sort of emotional response and the, and the feeling and what have you from it that I get from listening to a piece of music.
0: Right. Yes. Yeah. So now imagine this, if you'd never learned how to read music, you obviously don't care if sheet music disappears. Right. So now what if you never learned how to read? You're not going to miss books
1: then, hey, everything being audio is going to be so much better for you.
0: And video. So, like, check it mm-hmm. out. Like, when when you... Let's say you were going to... Um, i trying to come up with an example that is less emotionally sensitive for people, especially people who love reading.
1: As opposed to, let's step away from fiction. It's like reading a news article versus watching a video. What happened?
0: Yeah. That's better. That's a better... That's a less emotional one because people aren't bringing their own, like... <laughs> characters and voices to a news story yeah. probably. So that's that's a less emotional example so I like that. But I I I would argue that we can see this trend already happening.
1: Oh yeah, I think so.
0: The literacy is going Look at things like um first of all the popularity of SMS and Twitter which I think was extremely you know it's still extremely popular in instant messaging. But look what they're all doing. They're all adding images and Instagram is the biggest of all of them. Mm-hmm. And there's they're adding stickers and people are don't want to type out entire words so they type out these little acronyms and tiny yeah, little Yeah and these are
1: and these are services that limit you, limited you to 140 characters to begin with.
0: Right. And then <laughs> right and it's still too long. And so, you know, things like Vine and Instagram and uh, all of this stuff, even YouTube in a sense is is an easier more information rich way to store and transmit it now that the cost is so low. So you have to imagine like, I'm not saying I think no one will ever be able to read anymore, but you know, read, read, but uh, you can see that for certain types of reading that, um, I mean, look at the rise of podcasting. Like we're, we're, we could have blogged about this. We
1: we could have no one read it.
0: Yeah. Well, no one will listen to it. So (laughs) at least it wasn't hard.
1: (laughs) At least there's, you know, at least there's symmetry. Right.
0: But <laughs> so I, I really think the rise in podcasting and audiobooks is—I think audio is a—I gotta stop saying better—is a more convenient way mm-hmm. for people to experience long-form content than reading the same thing.
1: Yeah, I—I I don't read blogs anymore. I listen to podcasts and watch YouTube videos.
0: Yeah, right. So. Let's, uh, we could go on and on, but let's, let me just wrap with a quote from a children's author, uh, sorry, a children, well, this is Kate Wilson. This is from Kate Wilson, the founder of a prize winning children's book publisher called Nosy Crow, love that name. And Mm -hmm. she says that she sees the beginning of a post literate society in our current technology. And so the quote is, I can absolutely imagine a scenario in which mass literacy is just a historical blip. Technology could easily make the ability to decode text irrelevant, which is exactly what I'm saying. So, I, I, it's as crazy huh. as it is, I don't think it's impossible.
1: There, too, in some ways, I think there are a lot of people that read much more than they used to because of the internet.
0: That's interesting. So, you know, this conversation is helpful because it's for me, because it's Uh, it's made it obvious that there is like a whole range of types of reading, which does play into Mm -hmm. this. Yeah. So there's pleasure reading like a fiction book. And then there's like news type of information reading. And then there's just like reading packaging and signs where you just, you just need a way to be informed about, you know, how many calories are in your crunchies or whatever, (laughs) or where the bathroom is. So, uh, that I gotta, I'll, I gotta drill into that, and because I think there's specific types of reading that are going to be the first to go. Yeah. But wild, it's totally because I agree with you. I think people are on Facebook a lot more, and that's a lot of reading. So it's, it's like I feel like at least in our world, Facebook mm-hmm. is the new sitting on the couch watching TV. Instead, you uh, sit yeah. on the couch and read Facebook, and <laughs> right. so you are reading. Uh, there's videos and some stuff, but it's mostly reading and some pictures. Um, but it's not nothing's long form. Nothing's two paragraphs. Right. right. Two paragraphs? Are you kidding me?
1: Right. Next. It's, yeah, it's like i will see someone will post like, I'm sorry this is so long, but... And then they'll post like, it's maybe half a page. <laughs> right. Like, yeah. I'm sorry you have the attention span of a gnat, but...
0: <laughs> right. So, you know, I look at Cooper and he's like... It, so the, the interesting thing about the fact that you can use devices without being literate is that people who aren't old enough to read and people who never learned how to read suddenly have this wealth of data available to them
1: yeah or people who have physical disabilities that make it difficult to read
0: yeah so so that's like so if you look at it from that perspective it's like oh wow that's really cool
1: Mm
2: -hmm.
0: but then if you look but the perhaps the other side of the coin is um i'm already getting along you know five-year-old i'm getting along fine without reading
1: why would I ever need to learn?
0: Yeah. Like, why? It's just, yeah. it's like, why don't you teach me how to read music while you're at it? <laughs> Another skill I'll never need. You know, it's, I don't know. It's weird. I feel like, we're, I feel like, you know, right now it's really, uh, most people just shake their heads and walk away from me when I talk about that.
2: Mm-hmm. But
0: I, I think in five years, we're going to see, like, we'll know in five years. We'll know if, if this is just fear mongering, you know, chicken little, or if there's actually, I can't imagine how it wouldn't have an effect on people's literacy. I can't imagine. I it. think
1: it's already starting to. Yeah. I think, I, I think, and I think it goes both ways. I think for some people it's helpful because they're reading more. I think for other people, it's, it's more detrimental to their literacy skills because they don't need to read as much. And I think really it just comes down to personality at that point, what the person is going to choose to do. Are they going to say, Oh, look at all this great stuff I can read on the internet. Or are they going to go, I don't want to read that. I'll, I'll click this play button here.
0: Right. Exactly. I I don't know. I don't know. I can it, the question is, I'm sure there will be both. The question is where, what's, yeah. what's the mix? What's the percentage of one person versus the other?
1: Yeah we'll we'll um we'll find out as soon as you can listen to wikipedia <laughs> <laughs> yeah
0: man i mean t- you can talk to your watch now and have it do stuff for you you know yep. you, you never saw any. you never ever on star trek you never saw somebody read a book never i'm sure someone out there will send me a photo of kirk reading a book but it was all i,
1: I think was, yeah probably Cap-
0: captain's log I mean, there might have been a scene with spock reading a book but it's it was all talking to the computer computer talking to yeah, you yeah and
1: original in the original series there was no book reading
0: yeah that's what i mean the original
1: I think in the next generation they might have been like oh look at our look at our lofty appreciation of the classics we're going to sit down with this <laughs> this this leather bound first edition from uh,
2: yeah
0: profiles and courage <laughs> yes so anyway um so the the whole the big takeaway is like this the this device, the, the mobile phone, especially the smartphone mm-hmm. is like going to be, it's a supercomputer in the pockets of 80% of the adults in the, the world in the yeah, next,
1: you're, you're carrying around more technology in your pocket than we use to go to the moon.
0: Mm-hmm. So there's no way it's not going to have an enormous impact on society and culture. The question is how far ranging is going to be? Could it go so far that being able to read is actually not that big a deal?
1: Yeah, it's just how far down the rabbit hole are we gonna go?
0: Yeah, exactly. Telling time. What about that? Like, you know, who's is anybody gonna be able to be able to like read a regular watch face? Oh yeah. We don't even have one in the house to point Cooper to to to, to say like, let me teach you how to use this. <laughs> yeah,
1: you got to pull up one on your computer.
0: Yeah, I have to use like a special watch face on my Pebble. Right. Like, oh, here's one. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> but does anyone care? I don't know, not really. Who cares?
1: Yeah, Kira can do it, but only because we taught her. I think it's. I, you know, I think even like like her generation is probably the last generation that will ever you know need that skill.
0: Yeah, the analog watch hands thing.
1: Yeah, and not not that she ever needs that skill. I mean, I mean, Kira. Well, I I don't know. That's probably not a good example. It's Cura's Kira's wristwatch tells the time in binary, so <laughs> maybe not a good example. But.
0: That's kind of the opposite, right? Yeah. All right. Well, I've been going on and on. So, (laughs) so that's our show for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark.
1: I'm Kelly Shaver.
0: We hope you join us again next week for the Niche Podcast. Bye.
1: Bye.